Okay, so um, we are moving on in our study of the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 3. Um, I wasn't here last week, so I'm making an assumption about where Dave, David left us all in chapter 2, but uh, I suspect that um, the story finished last week with um, Moses living in Midian. So, as you know, he had killed an Egyptian, people had found out, and he'd fled the scene. And um, in Midian, he found a girl, got married, settled down, became a dad, um, he got a job as a shepherd working for his father-in-law, um, and he had a new life. And yet there was something about that new life and his circumstances which wasn't quite right. And at the end of chapter 2, we find uh, Moses reflecting on his journey and where he'd come to and his, uh, his, his circumstances. And he said that he felt like a foreigner in a foreign land. There was something about where he had arrived that wasn't quite right. Now today, as we move into chapter 3, we're going to be thinking about how everything changed for Moses when God called him from the burning bush. And we're going to be thinking about how God prepared Moses... For the task that he was going to give him. And that's important because we know from um, the Bible, um, passages like in Ephesians chapter 2 and Philippians 2, that God has prepared good works for us to do. And he prepares us for those works. And he continues to work in us to develop us and our ability to do the things that God wants us to to do. So although we're thinking about Moses, this is not just a history lesson um, today and in all the other weeks we're going to be studying Exodus, it is relevant to us all. And we're going to be looking at how God prepared Moses and how in similar ways he might prepare us for our works of service too. So I'm going to read the passage. I'm reading from the New International Version, so if that's not the version that you're using, that's fine. You're very welcome just to, just to, uh, to listen. I sometimes find that easier than trying to read a passage and words which are different than the words which are being read out from the front. Um, but entirely up to you. So we're reading from verse 1 of chapter 3 of Exodus, and we'll read most of the passage. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of their Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. 
and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel. Down to verse 18. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. We'll leave the, uh, we'll leave the reading there. <clears throat> so, uh, Moses had an encounter with God. And I'm defining encounter here as a conscious experience of meeting God. Like Paul did on the road to Damascus and how doubting Thomas did with the risen Lord Jesus and how the two on the road to Emmaus did when Jesus came along and walked with them and their hearts were burning within them as he explained to them from the scriptures everything that had been written to um, about him um, before time. God appeared to Moses and he did it in a burning bush. The presence of God was often symbolised by fire in the Old Testament and we see it later in the story in uh, chapter 13 when God led the people um, with a pillar of fire by night we read. Um, later still in chapters 19 and 24 we'll be reading as we progress our study about how God came down on Mount Sinai in smoke and fire and it was a, an awesome sight. And um, if we ever carry on our studies into Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, we'll see more examples of the divine presence being symbolised by fire. And I think the fearful, consuming nature of fire is something which reminds us about the judgment of God. And it does serve as a warning, doesn't it? That we cannot approach God on our terms. We don't dictate to God how we're going to come to him. And yet many people in the world do that. You know, think, well, I'll come to God in my own way. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, that we should worship God acceptably and with reverence and awe because, it says, our God is a consuming fire. And here in the wilderness, God warned Moses not to come any closer. But despite the warning, there was also an invitation, wasn't there? God wanted to talk with Moses, and he called Moses by name. And likewise, God invites us into his presence. 
Uh, in Hebrews 10, we learn that we enter the most holy place with confidence by a new and living way opened up for us. And that confidence comes from the knowledge that we have from God's word that God wants us to come into our, his presence. And he, he loves us and he has enabled us to come into our, his presence by the Lord Jesus, through his blood shed. Our sins can be forgiven through believing in Jesus. We stand before God in the holy place completely righteous as if we'd never sinned at all and you know that's the the wonderful one of the many wonderful things that we have um, in the gospel but nevertheless despite that freedom that we have and that confidence like Moses we are still expected to approach with reverence and awe and that should always be our attitude when we come to God in worship like we did this morning in the remembrance but also when we come to God in our private prayers I love the fact that in our private prayers, when there's only you and God talking, that we can have a lot more freedom. You know, we can relate to God in a, in a freer way and we don't have to be so careful in some ways about what we say. Um, I think it was Corrie ten Boom that once said uh, in a desperate situation when she looked at all of the starving people around her, she said, God, you just gotta do something. And it came from her passion and her love, and she knew it was the same, she knew it was something that God would, would um, understand her, her passion. So we can speak to God in a, in, in a freer way in our personal prayers, but that doesn't take away from the fact that we should still come to God with reverence and awe. He is our friend, but he's not our mate. Okay? So, what can we learn from this encounter with God? That we should expect fire or something equally dramatic every time God speaks to us? No, because that wasn't the experience that Elijah had that we read about in 1 Kings 19. Remember when Elijah was feeling very much on his own and he was fearful and God came to speak to him. And there was a, there was a mighty wind and there was an earthquake and there was fire. And the scripture says that God wasn't in any of that. It was in a quiet whisper that Elijah heard God talking to him. So yes, it's important that we do each as Christians have our own encounter with God, but don't worry if it's not as dramatic as the road to Damascus or something um, like the experience that you might hear that somebody else has had. God speaks to us all in many different ways. Um, and there should be at least one and hopefully many occasions when we are aware of God speaking um, to us but it may well be in that quiet voice, um, intervening, um, opening doors, leading in, in whatever way um, it might be in your particular circumstances. Um, as Christians, we should and we will have real experiences of God. It's just being attentive and aware of when it happens. And I think sometimes when we look back on our lives, we see those things, but we can forget. And it can be a really helpful thing to do, to look back and try and remember the times when God has spoken to us. When we've been aware of his presence. Because we'll face difficult times in life, bereavement, ill health, um, other difficult circumstances. And we can face those kind of circumstances with so much more courage when we know that we've had a real experience of God. And when the devil is giving us doubts or fears about God's ability or even his existence then we know I've had an experience with God and we can take courage and reassurance from that. 
Now, I want to focus today um, on how God prepared Moses for his big opportunity and how he can prepare us too. So there's just a, um, a few things which I'm going to, um, that I've picked out of the passage. Um, there's, the, the, there are more. In fact, as I was looking, as I was just reading over it this morning, I'm thinking, oh, I could have said that. And there's a, oh, that's a good one as well. So I just invite you to look for the other good ones that I'm going to miss, <laughs> miss today. Um, there's, lots of, there's lots in this passage, but I've just um, selected a few things that I'd like to share with you about God's preparation of Moses. And the first one was his employment. Um, Moses was a shepherd. Um, he hadn't always been a shepherd, but now he was a shepherd. And I don't know whether it was his regular route, but he had led the sheep, he had led the flock across the wilderness and he'd arrived at, at, at Mount Horeb. And not long after that, as we'll come on to in a few weeks' time, as we carry on our study, we will discover Moses leading his people through the wilderness where? To the same place. Except it's called Mount Sinai later on, but Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb are the same place. And I just find it really interesting that God led Moses to the very same place that he was going to expect Moses to learn a, lead a whole people later on. I used to lead um, groups of people on mountain walks. Just my passion I used to enjoy doing. But you know, I always felt a lot more confident about leading people out in the great outdoors when I'd done the walk myself previously. And uh, if it was going to be a big group, on a few occasions, I went out and deliberately did the walk first, um, not just for the sheer enjoyment of it, but just so I would have more confidence leading another people the, the next time. I knew what everything would look like. And I think, I think, can't be sure because it doesn't spell it out, but I think that's what God was doing in all the places that God could have met Moses for this particular experience. He could have done it right back at home, but he didn't. He did it out in the wilderness. I think he was helping Moses visualize where he was going to be um, bringing the people at a, at a later time. Sometimes God gives us experiences and duties in life, and it might be in our careers, or it might be in other responsibilities that we have in the family or our community or whatever it might be, things that help to prepare us in practical ways for later service. It might be things that improve our practical skills, or it might be things that improve our emotional resilience or our ability to and willingness to rely on God. You know, there's, um, a, a, for example, 2 Corinthians 1.4 talks about how our ability to be a comfort to somebody else often comes from our experience of receiving God's comfort ourselves. God comforts us, we can comfort somebody else. But of course, the circumstances in which we receive comfort are likely to have been difficult, painful, sad experience, a sad experience. And so I guess that what we can learn from this is that we should try to look positively on every experience, even the bad experiences, because God may well use that as an education and a preparation for our future service. Now, I think another outcome of the previous experiences of Moses was to make him humble. Um, it says in uh, Numbers 12 that Moses was the most um, humble person in the whole world. Now, we know that Moses wrote the book of, hum uh, of Numbers, but uh, I think most people believe that that was a scribe that put that little bit in afterwards. It wasn't, um, wasn't Moses' self-evaluation on how humble he was. Um, but he was a very humble man, and yet he had been a prince of Egypt. He had been brought up in the, in the wealth and the 
privilege of the palace. And yet, as we were thinking recently, I'm guessing this is what we've touched on last week, that he made a bad choice. He murdered somebody. And then that had led to him becoming um, you know, an outlaw. He'd become a fugitive. And he'd ended up looking after his father-in-law's sheep, not, not, only, not even his own flock, looking after somebody else's um, sheep. He'd had experiences. Um, and I do wonder if God had appeared to him when he'd been in the palace, whether Moses would have reacted quite the same way, whether he would have said, as he said in verse 11, who am I that I should lead such, um, that, that, who am I that I should um, lead um, and bring the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? We are expected to be gentle and humble, aren't we? We're expected to be like the Lord Jesus. And if there is any pride in our hearts, then we might expect God to cause or allow circumstances in our lives which will humble us. Not as a punishment, but as a preparation for whatever he's got planned for us later on. So again, that's something to, uh, to look out for. Sometimes when we might be going through a painful experience, it might be just God bringing us down a peg or two. Now, it was also essential that Moses knew God um, more than he did up to that point. And uh, we don't have time to look at all the verses that encourage us to know uh, and grow in our knowledge of God. But um, just John 17 and 3 as an example of the many verses. And I love this one because these are the words of the Lord Jesus himself, of course, where he defined eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, that um, they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. It's knowing God. And we will have all eternity, of course, to get to know God better and the Lord Jesus better. But we have the opportunity in this life to grow in our knowledge of him. And what we see at the burning bush is Moses getting to know more about God and getting to know God more, an essential preparation for the task ahead. Um, you know, if you, if, I won't read the verses again for the sake of time, but if you read verses five to eight, there is so much in there. Moses learned about God's holiness, his compassion, his faithfulness. He learned that he's a God who hears, he's a God who sees, he's a God who um, is willing to save, that he's a God who provides good things. And then in verses 13 and 14, he also learned God's name. I am who I am. A name which speaks of God's unchanging, eternal, incomparable nature. I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. The more we know God, the more confident we will be um, to go wherever he sends now, the fourth thing is the personal nature of the call. Um, Moses had a very personal call, didn't he? God didn't just indicate that there was something that he wanted to do and waited to see whether Moses would, be a vol would volunteer. Um, he made it very clear that he was giving this responsibility to Moses. Um, we see it in verse 4 when he called Moses by name and also in verse 10 where God said, Go, I am sending you. So it was a personal invitation and it was a personal 
commission that God was giving to Moses. And it's the same for us. God calls us personally. It's a personal calling, isn't it? The, the parable of the lost sheep is one of those lovely parables I first um, learned at Sunday school, as many people did, uh, you know, telling us that um, you know, you've got a shepherd and he's got 100 sheep and 99 are safe, you know, and one of them is missing. Many people today would say that's collateral damage. You know, we can afford to lose one sheep because I can't leave the 99 and go after the one because what happened, what happened to the other 99? But in the, you know, the, the teaching of the parable and the teaching that was given to me in very simple terms as a child at Sunday school was that if I had been the only one lost sheep, God would still have sent the Lord Jesus down to save me. That's a lovely, a lovely thought. It's uh, hypothetical because, of course, that was never the situation. But it just brings to uh, our, our focus the personal nature of our calling. God um, has called each of us personally to enjoy a personal relationship um, with God. And he wants us to be able to say, like Paul did in, uh, in Galatians 2, that Jesus is the son of God who saved me and gave himself for me. We can all say that personally. God so loved the world, which is billions of people, but it comes down to his love for each one of us as individuals. So we have a personal invitation to come to the Lord, and we have a personal commission, each one of us. Um, and it's more than what we read in Matthew 28, where Christians are told to go into all the world and make more Christians and to teach them the truth of God. Um, we've got tons of scriptures which set out for us what God wants us um, to do. I mean, just for example, uh, 2 Peter 1 and 8, he wants us to be effective and productive. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he wants us to build one another up. Uh, James 2 and 16, to meet the physical needs of one another. And then there's a whole host of characteristics, character qualities, that God wants us to cultivate in our own lives. Yes, they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but we can resist the Spirit. You know, so there is an active part that we play in developing the character qualities that God wants to see in the Christian's life. And where do we find all of these things, all these aspects of our personal commission? We find them in God's Word, don't we? Um, throughout God's Word. So that was the fourth thing, the personal invitation and commission. Uh, number five um, in, in, in the preparation of Moses was a promise. So we had a promise in verse 12 where God said, I will be with you. And of course that's very similar to the promise that the Lord Jesus gave when he gave the great commission in Matthew 28 when he said, I will be with you always. So that's a great reassurance, isn't it? The Almighty God is right there with us in all of the things that we, we have to face. And God is everywhere. But it's actually more than that, isn't it? It's more than just a reference to the omnipresence of God, that he's everywhere, therefore he must be with us. There's a very personal nature, and I've mentioned the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's where it becomes very intimate. Um, the Holy Spirit in us in our lives, living in us. That was the promise that the Lord Jesus gave in John 14. He would ask his Father to send the Holy Spirit and he would be in us and with us forever. And the Lord also revealed that the Holy Spirit is just like the Lord Jesus himself. In, although he's a separate person, his character, um, his nature 
is just like the Lord Jesus, another of the same kind, and he is in us. And there are other scriptures um, in Corinthians and Ephesians where we're told that the Holy Spirit living in us is God's guarantee of all his other promises. The inheritance that is prepared for us, that's every promise of God. These are all a guarantee from God. And the Holy Spirit is described as a pledge, like a seal on the deal that we are God's forever and we have his promises um, forever. So that is a great encouragement, isn't it? That although um, Jesus never said the things that he would ask us to do in this life will be easy, that's the opposite, he said, we will never have to face anything alone. And then the final thing um, that I wanted to uh, mention was um, one more thing that um, God did for Moses, and he, just as he does for us, he opened doors. Um, he'd already opened doors for Moses when he led Pharaoh's daughter to find him as a baby in the, in the bulrushes. Um, I don't think Moses would ever have had the same access to Pharaoh to deliver the message that God wanted to give him if he hadn't been someone who had been brought up in the palace and who would have known Pharaoh personally, I guess. So God had already been opening doors for Moses right back you know, when he was, when he was a little baby. But God also made sure that he would have other help in this task he was giving to him. Other help from other human beings. I'm talking about the elders of, 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 of Israel. And I think it was, you know, Moses was going to be a man who was going to lead a whole population. You imagine how difficult that would be? You imagine how difficult it would be you and I to go out into, into, into Levenshum and say, hey, everyone, follow me. I, you know, I've got a message from God. You know, it would have been a pretty, pretty difficult thing, especially as the last time any of the Israelites said anything to Moses. It was about, we know that you killed an Egyptian. You know, so it's, having help was going to be ever so important. And it says in, um, where are we? Verse 16, God said, go assemble the elders of Israel. So the expectation was that Moses would get all the elders together. But why would the elders listen to him? Because God said they would, because he'd opened minds. He'd already prepared their minds and their hearts to listen to Moses and to do what he said. Verse 18, the elders of Israel will listen to you. And then you and the elders are to go to Pharaoh. So we see that God is able to open hearts and minds to fulfill his purposes. He opens doors. He provides helpers. He is the God of unlimited resources. He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's the promise of <coughs> Ephesians 3 and 20. So, we've been thinking about how God called Moses to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. And you might think that, therefore, that puts him out of our league that the things that Moses went through, I mean, how can they be relevant to us? We're talking about Moses, not Ian Seddon or Giles Hickling or whoever. <laughs> but they are relevant to us because as we thought at the beginning, God has prepared good works in advance for each of us to do. They might be different works than what he prepared for Moses, but they are good works. And they might be small or large in terms of the way the world might look at them, but to God, they're all important. And 
we are assured that he is preparing each one of us to be able to do those works. So the things that we thought about in Moses, we thought about the practical experiences and duties that he had, which gave him skills and confidence. We thought about the difficult experiences which moulded his character. We thought about how he had a relationship with God which was based on knowledge and also experience. Getting to know about God and getting to know God. Two slightly different things, but they're two halves of the whole. There was a personal call and a personal commission. And the good shepherd calls his sheep by name. We are his sheep. All of us have been called individually by name. We thought about how Moses had the promise that God would be with him, that he would never walk alone. And we have that same promise for ourselves. And then lastly, we were thinking about how God would open doors and he would intervene and he would do whatever was necessary to help Moses accomplish the task. And if when we come on to think about the plagues that were sent against them, Egypt, um, you can see that there is no limit to what God will not do in order to fulfil his purposes. And what a privilege to be part of those purposes. So the Lord has prepared and is preparing each one of us. We're all works in progress, as some of us were thinking at the youth weekend last, um, last week. Um, but he is and will prepare us still. All he needs, all he needs from us is our willingness. So we'll leave it there. We'll pick up um, the story next week when we come on to, uh, to chapter 4, but we'll, uh, we'll just finish there now.